If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter number 13 as we are putting a bow on this series we've entitled, He Gets Us. He Gets Us. Starting with verse number one. Among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manin, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salmas, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Papas where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bargesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. Um, Hold your spot there. I'm going to come back to verses 8 through 11 a little bit later in this message. But turn with me also to the book of Acts chapter number 2. I'm going to read two verses there, verse number 42 and 43. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of, set with me, awe, say it one more time, awe, came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Holy Spirit, help us today. Got through in Oklahoma City and Freedom House and all the areas where people may be watching. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit will just come and show us your power, your divine power that sets us free in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. This past Thursday, I was leaving my office, I'd come in early, study, get some things ready, and I was leaving the office to walk from one building to the other, and I saw my wife pulling up in the car. And so I saw her headed to a parking spot. She got a parking spot, and I thought I will go you know, greet her, and I figured she saw me. She didn't. And so I walked over to where the car was, and she had parked with two, two vehicles, and she had leaned over into the passenger side to get her purse, I believe, but then was turning back around. And about the time she was getting her purse and turning back around, I opened the car door. I was greeted with such a scream, such intrepidation, such fear, such, literally, she was looking at me and screaming for a good three to five seconds. I thought she was going to come out of her skin. She would say later to me is that that was so surprised me. And it's a wonder, she said, that I did not stop breathing. 
And I thought about that statement because the title of my message is, they will be astonished. They will be astonished. Astonished literally means a element of surprise and or wonder that just literally blows someone away. And my prayer as we wrap up the He Gets Us series is that they will be astonished. Who are they? They are those that are far from Jesus. Those who are curious about Jesus. Those who are critics of Jesus. And then those that are just fans of Jesus, like a lot of people are in church, but really aren't fully devoted followers of Jesus. And my prayer is that you will not only realize that he gets you, but you start getting him. We're going to start a revival next week, and we're going to hopefully start it today. I, I hope that you come ready to receive from God, and you are anxious to experience God. And we're going to start revival next week. We've got a different speaker on Thursday and a different speaker on Sunday. And I hope you show up at our locations ready and eager. If you're typically a Sunday, you need to show up on Thursday. Let's, let's, let's hear from God. Thursday night peaks, show up on Sunday. Let's experience God only as he can show up to us. A key point of interest in Acts chapter number 13 is the growth of the church as it begins to expand beyond the Jewish circles into the Gentile world. And so basically when it says in the scripture, Jew and Gentile, the Jews are the Jewish people, the Gentiles are anyone else. And if you're not a Jew in this place, you're, then you're a Gentile. And all of us are in one of those two. But Antioch was the first place that the non-Jewish people began to really follow in the masses. It is the third largest city in the Roman Empire, somewhere between a quarter of a million to a half a million people. It's a very diverse group of people made up of people all around the known world because they've come there for the, tra for the, for the economic benefits that comes from the trade route that is available through the Roman Empire. And it's the first place that the followers of Jesus, the people of the way, are called Christians. Christians, right here. Christians. They they begin to experience something they'd never experienced before. A God that is different from any other God. And I'm gonna give you three things that I hope that you'll write down that sticks with you today. Is number one is this. They will be astonished by the diversity among us. You see, diversity is what God wants for us. At North Church, one of our value statements is that we value diversity. We embrace a multicultural, multi-ethnic, and multi-general church that multi-generational church that reflects the heart of God. But one crucial test of the gospel transforming lives is that we can love people, not just like us, but love people that are completely different from us. Does that make sense? Matter of fact, Jesus even narrows it down to love your enemy is a test of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus would say it this way. He said, they will know you're my disciples by your love one for another. Not the love of the people that you want to love, but the love of all people, all people. The call of a diverse church rests heavy upon the followers of Jesus Christ. A diverse church, though, let me establish, is not a compromising church. We do not compromise the word of God. We compromise our preferences, but we hold true to the principles of God's word. And what I'm referencing in a diverse church goes beyond just skin tone by the outward look, though that is very much a part of it. 
But the Bible says in Galatians chapter number three that there is neither now Jew nor Gentile nor male nor female nor bond nor slave. And let me just add to that, there's no educated, uneducated, poor or rich or any other classification you were gonna allow to that. He says we are one in Christ Jesus. That is the key. We are one in Christ Jesus. There's the beauty of the diverse church. Beauty. Matter of fact, it's found in the book of Revelation, chapter number seven, as God shows a picture of what he is longing for, what he is striving for around the throne of God with every ethnic group, every nationality, every language, every tongue around the throne of God. And that's the beauty that God is showing us that he wants for us here and now. So in other words, if you're uncomfortable with it being now diversity, then you're gonna be uncomfortable with diversity there. Come on, we need to right now begin to prepare us for what we're gonna have in heaven the beauty of diversity. But then there's also the challenges of diversity. When you're hanging out with people that are unlike you, that are raised different from you, maybe they're raised in the country and you're raised in the city. They talk a little different. They come from a totally different upbringing. That diversity creates its challenges. But unity under Christ comes when we choose to love, to listen, and to learn the way Jesus did. Amen? Now, I'll tell you what, that, that's not easy. Because let me tell you, this challenge is extremely hard for anyone whose name starts with Rodney and ends with Fouts. And I got a feeling you should be able to say the same thing about you. It's a challenge. But then there's a responsibility of being a diverse church. You play a role and I play a role of creating the church that honors God and reflects the heart of God. Somebody say amen. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And Jesus, everywhere he went, platformed a diversity. You, you go to John chapter number four. He meets a woman at a well. Matter of fact, most Jews would be avoiding Samaritan people at all costs. In Samaria, they would go around it at all costs. But Jesus said, I've got an appointment with a woman at a well. And he meets a well, woman at a well. He sends the men away, meets her, a woman who is a Samaritan, a woman who has been married five times, a woman who is living with the sixth man, the Jews hated the Samaritans, but he reveals who he is, his Messiahship to this woman. Why? It's because he is pointing out that I'm in, I'm in this for all people, not for some people. When Jesus established great faith and he communicated to his Jewish listeners what great faith is, you know who he pointed out? He pointed out first a Roman soldier a Roman soldier with a servant who was paralyzed from an accident. And he comes to him and says, Jesus, my servant. And Jesus says, I will go with you. And he's ready to travel with him to his home. And that Roman soldier says to him, he says, you know what? I'm not worthy to be under you to be under my roof. Just, I understand what authority is. And I understand what it is to tell my soldiers to go and they go and to do this and they do that. And I know who you are. You are sent from God above. And all you have to do is speak the word and it will happen. And Jesus looked at everybody and says, I have not seen this great of faith in all of Israel. You think about how offensive that was to his audience. Come on, the Roman government was suppressing them. They were occupying the land. They were taxing them. They were beating them and abusing them. I'm not saying this guy was, but as a group they were. But you know what Jesus is pointing out? I'm not out for a certain group of people. I'm out for anybody who will believe in me. That was Matthew chapter eight. Matthew chapter 15 tells the story of a Canaanite woman. And if you don't understand the relationship between the Canaanites and the Jewish people, go check it out in the Old Testament. It was, it was a rocky relationship, to say the least. 
And a woman comes who has a demon-possessed daughter and cries out to Jesus, and Jesus is ignoring them. I've got a feeling his disciples took that as the clue that I cannot have anything to do with this Canaanite woman. And they said, let's send her away. And then Jesus finally speaks to her. And he says, I've just come for the sheep of Israel. And the woman was undeterred. She said, you know what? I'm still coming for something from you because you're the only one that can give that to me. And then Jesus says to her, he says, you know what? It is not good to take the, the bread and give it to the dogs. Literally, he's calling her a dog because that's what the Jewish people would. And it seems very offensive, and it is very offensive. But Jesus was not trying to push her away. Jesus was just trying to test her faith. And sometimes when you do not hear a voice from God or you hear the voice of God that's not what you want or you feel like, sometimes he's just testing you. Will you continue to be persistent and press through till you get the answer that you are praying for? And the Bible says, the woman says this, yes, Lord, but even the dogs get the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Come on, give us a people that hunger for God. Again, Jesus is platforming diversity. Platforming it again and again. But then also number two is this. They, the world out there, the people that are the casual followers of Jesus will be astonished that the devil cannot divide us. You see, division is what the devil wants for us. He tried to divide heaven and a third of the angels followed after him. He divided the garden with Adam and Eve against Christ, against God. But if you go back in that passage, it talks about this individual shows up, Bar-Jesus, who was a false prophet. That was his Jewish name, but then he labels him right here as his Greek name in verse number eight. But Eliamus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from what? Believing, believing. Don't let the devil use someone or something to keep you from believing in Jesus. Don't let the devil allow anybody or anything to deter you, to detract you, to discourage you from following after Jesus. Somebody say amen. Because he will, he'll put seeds of doubt He'll put seeds that are going to be a difference between you and somebody else. The devil comes to divide relationships. He comes to divide homes. He comes to divide churches. He comes to divide marriages. He comes to divide offices. He comes to divide ball teams. He comes to divide anybody, anybody. And if you call yourself a Christian, he will try to use a difference between you and somebody else to divide you so that he can discourage others from following Jesus. But you cannot defeat the demonic by your own effort by your own knowledge or by your own ability. You need the power of God living in you. There's a story in the book of Acts 19 of a, a Jewish priest named Sceva and his seven sons went out and they were seeing what Paul was doing and casting out demons and they went around and they began to try to cast out demons themselves, a little exorcism. And they began to say, in the name of Jesus that Paul preached, we command you to come out right now. They came up on one demon, and one demon says this, says, well, that Paul I know, and that Jesus I surely know, but who are you? And it says the demon jumped on those seven brothers, beat them up, stripped them naked as they went running down the street. It, the devil is not somebody to play with. And the way you meet the devil is by the power of the Holy Spirit living in you. You better have God in you. You don't play games with the demonic. You don't play games with evil spirits. You don't play games with the darkness of this world. Come on, it'll destroy your life and destroy those around you. You gotta walk in the power of God. 
in the name of Jesus Christ. You gotta have something real, not just to say, oh, my grandma or my dad or my, or my pastor or the church I go to. No, you need the power of God in you. And it says that they were in prayer and they were fasting. And then they began to pray and fast some more. I want you to hear me because this is important because we think that we can casually begin to do this thing. No, we gotta fall on our face and say, God, I need more of you. And that comes by sacrifice. It comes by obedience. It comes by realizing that we gotta humble ourselves before God. Jesus said one time to those that were brought him a demon-possessed child, and they tried the disciples first, but they couldn't cast him out, and they brought him to Jesus, and Jesus said to the disciples and those around, some things only come by prayer and fasting. Verse number nine continues. It says, Paul, also known, Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. And he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? We need Christians like Saul who becomes Paul that are full of the Holy Spirit today. And when you are, you won't be in it to complain or to bellyache or critique or to put people down. You will be in it to unite people under the cause of Jesus Christ. In chapter 16, Paul and Silas were out preaching the word, and there is a young girl who is a sorcerer, fortune teller, and he is, she is set free. The people didn't like that. They threw Paul and Silas in jail. They chained them to the walls. And it says at the midnight hour, they begin to complain, and they begin to grumble, and they begin to say, God, is that what it says? Did it say that Silas says, Paul, you did it again. If you didn't open your big mouth, we wouldn't be here right now. Or Saul speaking back to Paul and saying, uh, to uh, uh, Silas and saying, well, yeah, but if you would have done something and stood up, we might not be this way right now. No, they were not blaming each other. They were boasting in Jesus Christ at the midnight hour. They were pointing their fingers at somebody. They were pointing their hands toward heaven and giving praise to him. And it says the people were listening in and they heard what God was doing. And it says that an earthquake happened at the midnight hour. It shook the place. The chains fell off of them. The doors swung open and they were set free because the power of God comes with unity when the people of God agree together. We need, we need unity like never before. The devil's trying to divide. And when the devil divides, you know what? The people look and say, yep, that's why I don't want to be a Christian. Oh, but when people unite together, the people, the world out there says, oh, that's a reason to join this group. And then finally, they will be astonished by the divine power working through us. They will be astonished by the divine power working through us. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He says, these things and greater will you do. Jesus was talking about the miracles. He was talking about all the stuff. And I don't know about you, but that just kind of messes with me. Messes with me. I, I've seen God do incredible things. I've been a part of this church of seeing people miraculously healed of cancer that was impossible, the doctor said. I've seen people healed and, and delivered delivered from years and years of drug addiction and set free and clean and walking in the power of God. I've seen marriages that have been ended and then put back together and God restored and they have loved each other. I, I, I've seen God do miracles, but I'm challenged by this because I'm like, God, there's much more to be seen. There's much more to experience. 
when you're saying these things and greater shall you do? Verse number 11, Paul continues. He says, watch out, watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began grouping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. You know what I think Saul, who is now Paul, is doing? I think he's calling him back to remember. I want you to go back. He probably told the guy, hey, go back and read chapter nine of Acts. It wasn't written then. It should be funny to some people, but it wasn't written. But Paul said, let me tell you my story. I was, I was a disowner of Jesus. I, I was a persecutor of the church. I was out killing Christians. Just like you're trying to put down and deter somebody from listening to Jesus, I was out imprisoning Christians. But one day on a Damascus road, I was knocked down to the ground by a blinding light, and I was blind for three days. And in those three days, Jesus revealed who he is to me. And I believe what he is doing here, he's saying, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't know about you what's gonna, but I believe you're gonna experience what I experienced, some days of blindness so that your spiritual eyes will be open to the truth of who Jesus Christ is. Now, I don't know the rest of the story on this guy named Elimus, Bar-Jesus by his Jewish name, but, but if Paul Harvey was here to tell the story, the rest of the story. Now, I've, I, realize, I realize only the people 50 years of age and older know who that is. Everybody else has no clue. Go check it up. Google it. Maybe he's there, okay? But he was long before Google. Long before Google. But I got to believe that this guy, after a few days of being blind physically, realized that the power of Jesus is greater than the power that I have, and I want to know this Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? I hope so. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12 says, when the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer. For he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. He was astonished. Everybody said the word astonished. Astonished. One more time. Astonished. We need to see the power of God at work today in our lives. They are waiting. The curious, the critics, the doubters, the naysayers, the people on the fence, and those that are fans of Jesus but not fully devoted followers of Jesus are waiting to see the power of God flow. I want you to stand with me. This book, listen to me, every location, every person, I was paying close attention I believe this is God's word for us that he wanted us to have so that we can better understand who Jesus is. And I never want to get to a place, and I don't want North Church to ever get to a place, that these are just cool little stories that we read about a God that once was. This is not a storybook of what God did back then and we just kind of say, oh, that was cool. No, this is written so that we can experience the God of then because he is the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he's gonna be the same tomorrow. I want my kids, I want my grandkids to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I want them to experience God and his resurrection power through Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Acts chapter number 19, verse 11 says that God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that merely touched his skin were placed on him, they were taken to the sick and those that were demon-possessed, and they were healed and delivered. Who gave Paul unusual power 
power to do unusual miracles? It was God. It was Jesus. That they brought even handkerchiefs and aprons that touched the skin of Paul and then they go and put that on sick people and demonic people. No, no, it wasn't the handkerchief that healed. It wasn't the apron that healed. And it actually wasn't even Paul's skin that healed. But it was the power of God and faith believing that did the miraculous. Come on, we gotta believe again. The answer for our world is not a certain president or a certain party. It's not a certain thing happening. It's not a certain law being passed. It's the power of God among the people of God and the church of God rising up that's gonna transform this world. We gotta love one another as Christ loved. We, we gotta not let anything divide us but walk together in Christ Jesus. We gotta believe that the divine power of God works today like it worked 2,000 years ago. Somebody say amen. We're giving an altar call right now and if you're hungry for God, if you need a healing of your life, you need direction in your life, if you're just saying, I've got differences and things that have divided me and somebody, that you need to come and pray. If you're, if you're saying, I'm struggling with issues of my life and direction, maybe it's a battle in your mind, maybe it's an addiction, come. We believe the power of God is flowing today to set people free. But you gotta chase after Jesus. These altars are open right now. In Guthrie, in Oklahoma City, wherever you're at, come, come. Jesus, in your name, do your work, set free. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. As people are coming, hungry for more of Jesus. Do your work, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen.